title of this morning's Dharma talk is A Raw Heart, A Raw Heart. Before I talk about that, I'm going to read a poem from the 14th century Chinese poet by the name of Stonehouse. This is our favorite translator, Red Pine, who translates Heart Sutra, Diamond Sutra, Tonkotara Sutra, and so on. This is short, this is a longer poem, this is just a small section of it. <clears throat> Can't read Chinese, or I would read the Chinese, because it's here also. I'm working on it. Pardon me. That's why I don't read this <clears throat> very well. You have to let go of everything. Buddhahood has to go too. Each thought becomes a demon, opening your mouth invites trouble. Accept what karma brings and live your life in freedom. Use the Dharma for your practice. Lead your ox to the mill. That's a good commentary on choicelessness. So what is a raw heart? Trungpa Rinpoche used a metaphor, uh, similar metaphor, he called it uh, the genuine heart of sadness. Genuine heart of sadness. In order to support those who were on the path, who were working with their passion, aggression, ignorance, their difficulty, their their depression, or their negative feelings, or their the cloud that tends to follow some of us around, kind of gloomy, especially if you've been practicing for four or five years, a dozen years, uh, we, we would like to know how long this is going to take. That's quite often what happens, especially in the first two or three years. It takes a long time, I can tell you. Unless you're one of those amazing beings who has a spontaneous awakening. Better that you don't have one of those. Because what happens when you have a spontaneous awakening, you grab it and you hang on to it. You milk it. Whereas if it takes a while and then you have... And the, the contrast shows up in a different way. It doesn't show up as... I used to be this way, now I'm this way. So a raw heart. So it's another metaphor to help you certainly helps me to let you know that when you when you go into any kind of negative or difficult emotion or feeling, please don't object, don't agree, don't look away. Those are the three ways of basic ways of avoiding. Seems to be necessary. <clears throat> so a raw heart means that you've, uh, my image I sometimes use, you drop down out of this paranoia of thinking and you've risen up out of this hope and fear that it's always looking for advantage or disadvantage in the, in the gut and is uh, run by the Southern consciousness or the ego or the Klesha mind. And you go into this raw, raw. It's raw because it's, it's un, unfiltered. It's, un, uh, it's uncovered. It's unprotected. And that feeling uh, that the ego has when this starts to show up, this is called uh, bodhicitta, by the way, the mind of awakening. B-O-D-H-I-C-I-T-T-A. It's a Sanskrit word. Bodhicitta. <clears throat> so when this starts to show up and we start to rise out of this and drop down out of this and start to notice this, we feel sad. We feel maybe disappointed. Um, we might feel raw. That's how the, that's what the ego, the ego mind actually does something with that. It, it looks at it as something to get rid of or it must be wrong or shouldn't feel this way or if something needs to change, <clears throat> I need to change my meds. I need to take meds. I need to stop taking meds. 
I need that, I need that, I need that. We're always looking for what? Something else. Like it says on uh, sunlit clouds, rocks, nothing else. That I wrote on there when I ordained her in 2010. Was it 2010? So the idea of the raw heart is a raw heart doesn't want anything. It's kind of like, just to use conventional language, it's kind of like when you're just bummed out, you're just sitting there, and you know nothing's going to work. So you kind of, you don't really want anything. You kind of want to be left alone in a way. You 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 might even not really care whether you get better or whether this goes away or not. There's something genuine. And that's I think that's why uh, Trumper and Pache referred to that as a genuine heart of sadness. There's something very genuine about being at what you could call the end of the road. <clears throat> There's nowhere, nowhere else to go. There's nothing to do. Very similar to the feeling that the Stone House, this poem evokes. Even the Buddha has to go. But of course, these are just ideas, because fundamentally, if you re especially if you receive the precepts or the refuge vow formally, then then to the 16 precepts, then to uh, separate uh, sentient beings and Buddhas is to break the 10th grade precept. As you probably know if you've read anything about that. But of course, that's what precepts are for, is to see the way we break them. It's, it's why we observe those rather than cling to them support them or accuse others of not. It's really an odd feeling to have someone accuse you of breaking your precepts. <laughs> anyone had that happen? Had someone else say, you don't have to say what it is. Has anyone ever said to you, well, don't you think you're breaking that precept? Kind of like your parent or something. Much different kind of situation that we have here in Buddhism. Basic teaching of the Buddha is everything, everything. Find something, point to it, ask me about it, everything is dependently arisen. There is no solid separate thing anywhere at all. That makes it really difficult when you're trying to get ahead in the world, manipulate the world, manipulate your mind, manipulate others, train your cat, which you can't do that, train your cat. Might be good exercise. Go train your cat. Well, there's a waste of time. Well, except for Yahtzee, I think Yahtzee minded pretty well. Like, go lay down, you go lay down. <clears throat> so everything's dependently arisen, so if that's the case, how do we even navigate that at all? Yesterday we had uh, um, people who were monks here, uh, or soon to be ordained. Uh, people were uh, gave uh, talks on how on ethics and how the sixteen precepts, uh, how the ethics, understanding of what what kind of values that we have, how those show up in uh, precepts, rather than have another list of do's and don'ts, which is the Western model you know, that tries to control everything. Um, Buddha Dharma is not about control. There may be a lot of controls happening there, but it's it's not about controlling. It's about, what's it about? It's about awareness, it's about being aware. And those talks were, uh, were were very good. It's I think it's the first time I've given people a week or so to, or at least four or five days to think about. Usually I tell you, tell you an hour ahead of time, the topic that you'll talk about. <clears throat> raw heart. So if that begins to occur to you, rather than name it depression, or rather than name it a problem, rather than, rather than even name it a raw heart, that's the one I'm using. You might name it something else. You might not name it. You might just notice that this is hard. We've all been here forever. We've been, we've been doing this. When I say we, these bodies uh, are pretty new. But who we are, who we fundamentally are as men, this has been going on for since the beginning of this time. 
we show up in a relative situation where there's actually clocks with hands moving, what's that about? You can't see time and you, you project space, you can't see that either. I mean, li you literally can't see space. You can see the objects in the space, which infer, well, it's gotta be space, there's objects. Maybe not, take nothing for granted. So here we are again, uh, endeavoring to understand the teachings of the Buddha, Buddha, living Buddha uh, is, uh, is here, not just here, but here, there, in the window, everywhere. So ask me some questions, bring this information out, yes. I had a few questions and I was wondering, one, is the basic nature of the heart sadness? Uh, basic nature is, uh, uh, is emptiness. Basic nature is empty. So, but when we, when, when we stop roiling around here and arguing up here, panicking or whatever, and we begin to find this seed of awakening, this bodhicitta, uh, there can be uh, sadness about it. There's kind of an understanding that the ego is uh, self-centeredness is somehow not going to get anywhere or it's going to be left out or isn't going to be protected. So there's a, a sadness. The, the, the struggle is gone from here and the commentary is gone from here, but the emotion or the feeling is sad. Is that sadness um, arising out of that heart or is it, is it the tension between that and our desires that causes? There's some of that. I mean, you could go in and parse it out in different ways and divide it up and point to different areas of it. Fundamentally, it's, it's just that. If, it's, if it goes in other directions, then, then it starts to get more of a story about it, more of an elaboration. And then there's some kind of hope that maybe we might be able to get out of this. Hope and fear. So we're starting to sink back down into this. Questions about hope and fear are good if you have them. What? Yes. Is, is it perpetual vulnerability? <clears throat> it's vulnerability in that if you if you take note of it, you notice that you're not protecting anything. And so therefore you, but as you're functioning, there, sadness may, may be there, mm -hmm. but you're not particularly thinking about, I'm sad because I'm not protecting, or I'm sad because I'm so vulnerable. The vulnerability might be a description uh, of, might arise if you, if you're thinking about that, then you'll just notice, well, yeah, I guess I am vulnerable because I'm not, I have no story about it, about who I am, what I am. I feel no need to justify anything. No. So when the, the raw heart meets fear, what happens? Uh, <clears throat> the raw heart doesn't really meet fear. It's uh, This is where the fear is. Fear. Remember, just go back to the last time you felt fear. Where was it at? I'm not saying there might be something up here, some commentary, but basically it's in the solar plexus. Wouldn't you say? Could you say again what, what the sadness part is? So without, I wouldn't want to say too much about it because because I think it's yours and, and it would be your understanding of it. But the sad part is part of a disappointment. Uh, and maybe we don't even know what it is. We don't, we're not sure what it is, but we, we realize there's something that's what we... The, the hopes that we had for something wonderful to happen or some kind of great situation, uh, some kind of fruition to happen based on our idea of what that fruition would be, like really happy all the time, very peaceful all the time. Instead, we, we're not saying that may not come about, but one wouldn't be too concerned if that occurred. One would not necessarily want to replace that with something about, that's what it's called, uh, uh, 
uh, Trump Rinpoche calls it a heart of genuine. It's actually there's some kind of basic realism to it, but it's empty. More. Could you say how it might be different from the sadness that arises through our thinking or through our gut? I think that's that's uh, that's a extra. That's a um, it has the support of the gut, has the support of the thinking process. So it's there's always some possibility of that coming to an end. But uh, part of genuine sadness or the raw heart is just that, and there isn't any getting out of it. I'm not saying that you you walk around all day long with um, with some kind of terrible feeling in your chest. It's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying it's just raw. It's also great longing. It's also great bodhicitta. Uh, if you're if you're functioning everywhere, you're functioning whatever you're doing. If you if you if you do a, a check to see you know <laughs> what's going on with you, you notice you're you're all about other people. They don't know that that you're you're no longer particularly involved with your own. I'm not saying you won't go brush your teeth because you got to spend that time with other people. I'm not saying you won't take care of yourself, but your main uh, intention is to help others, uh, meet others where they're at. The, we actually, the, if you receive these vows, I don't know what happens if you do it casually. Maybe something would happen. Probably would. But if you do it formally, it's really powerful. And that's why I say to people, uh, don't do it. Don't do it unless you have to. Don't, don't ask for precepts. And, uh, and I'll even help you there. You ask me and I'll probably turn you down at least once. Maybe not. It depends on who you are. Yes? If we're helping others, we'll... You'll be able to say what I'm saying you know, somewhat, or what anyone else would say. You know, you'll be able to talk about it. But fundamentally, um, you're not really separate from others. So that kind of comes into play also, uh, insofar as we're in a relative situation. There's this, and then there's just seeing that you're always looking for, uh, as it says in the precepts, the benefit of others. There's always benefit of others. And it's not, yes. Does it look like any? Does it look any different than helping yourself? Uh, if that shows up, that sounds suspect. Exactly like I said it. <laughs> you want to paraphrase what I just said to him? What shows up? That's very good. Yeah, I'll believe your thoughts because that kind of thing is a that will it will trick you, it will trick you into uh, settling into I'm helping others. If you if you, I mean, I'm sure I'm talking about it, but there's no I don't have any credential for doing that. I'm not going to follow up my statement with all the things I've done for others today. You know, there, there, there are no others. That's why it's so powerful. And that's why there's a raw heart. Good question. Good paraphrase, yes. Uh, from Hakaran over in St. Joe, Michigan. Mm-hmm. She asks, how can we keep <clears throat> our intentions not motivated by hope and fear or how to utilize hope and fear? Very good. So, uh, Hakaran, so... Uh, it's to see the hope, uh, see the wishing for something else, and to see uh, the fear that that something else you're wishing for is not going to happen. Or see that something that's going to happen that you did not wish for is starting to happen and uh, not doing anything with it, not, put, not tamping it down, not fluffing it up, doing nothing with it, but just not separating yourself from it. Very difficult to do. And this is why we need Shikantaza, Zazen, meditation practice. We need to sit down over and over and over again and return to this, return to this, return to the Buddha, return to the Dharma, return to the Sangha, one of the ways that it's characterized in the Frida and the Jukai. Seito.
you talk about um, everything that we encounter um, being dependently risen. Um, what about the space that it arises in? Is that also dependently risen? So space is used as a way of understanding the mind, understanding phenomena. So um, uh, everything is dependent on something else, on other, other situations where it's apparent identity or singularity. So you could say, in the way you ask about it, I would say yes. I would say uh, the fundamental situation, to take it a little bit further, is space is not separate from what arises in it. So therefore, this is space. This is space. This rawness is a is the doorway. Would you be willing to reread that the poem? The poem. Mm -hmm. I will if I can get through it. Would you like to read it? You can cry too if you want. <laughs> it's the top line. It's marked. Thank you. You have to let everything go. Buddhahood has to go too. Each thought becomes a demon. Opening your mouth invites trouble. Accept what karma brings and live your life in freedom. Use the Dharma for your practice. Lead your ox to the mill. I was wondering if you could say something about mm -hmm. um, how we can speak skillfully without creating trouble. Speak skillfully. So this is uh, one of the reasons we have uh, Dharma talks, several of you gave Dharma talks yesterday, and you could see you're on the spot when you're sitting on the tan and you're talking about a particular topic, uh, especially when it comes to the Buddha's Dharma. Uh, it's very easy to get tongue-tied. We, we just don't know how we can, because whatever we say sounds like a lie, or it sounds like it's not exactly what we're intending, but we do it anyway. So uh, if we try to be too perfect, then that's the self-centeredness coming out and then it, then it begins to show up as pride and so I but I think it's a it's about being aware of that not getting rid of the pride not getting rid of the fear like Ashoka there's the second Dharma talk he's given uh, was yesterday and as, as you remarked earlier or yesterday that it's a pretty difficult topic how the ethics show up in the precepts just one precept alone is difficult to give a talk on you said that that particular poem or that part of the poem was a good example of choicelessness. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering how we could interfere less with our yeah. everyday life. So he was saying, he was just saying very specific things, telling you things, don't do this, do this, don't do that. But it's coming out of a space, and since we don't, we have to trust a, a Red Pines translation is pretty close, probably is. Hard to come from one language to another, uh, especially something that is. Uh, Coming out of Chinese uh, languages and pictograms is not so easy. Whoops. More vodka. <laughs> it's just water. That was meant to be a joke. So he's saying you have to let everything go. That's not something I would say. And if we were to look at the Chinese characters here, he might not have said it exactly that way. He might have said it differently. Buddhahood has to go too. The idea of getting somewhere. Uh, each thought becomes a demon. So just saying that your thought, if you believe your thoughts, then they'll, they'll take you this way and take you that way. On the other hand, if you don't believe them or disbelieve them, which is, it's just like somebody walks in a the room, they're, they're just in the room. You, you believing that they're here doesn't particularly keep them here. You disbelieving doesn't take them away. 
or ignoring them. Uh, so it's just a matter of, uh, to me, my understanding is, uh, rather than saying each thought becomes a demon, which is an image, I would just say, don't believe your thoughts. I'm not, also not a, not a poet. Opening your mouth invites trouble, probably. Every time, we op every time I open mine. Accept what karma brings. It's just a matter of the whole accepting, rejecting idea. I think is we don't really need that. It's just, uh, the way I say it is just watch what's coming. Just observe what's coming. And, and in that way, just by observing something, you're not, you're not building up some kind of, a, of an acceptor. Someone, an image of someone who accepts. Well, I'm just accepting things. You know, I used to really struggle with things, but I meditated, and I just learned to accept things. Need any advice? I'll help you out. Yes. Can we fall into the same dynamic with creating a receiver? Yeah. You can always you can fall into any kind of dynamic, but it is not about not doing that so much. It's about seeing it. It's about seeing that you're doing that. Seeing that you're uh, full of yourself, uh, actually seeing that. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to correct that. Isn't that good? So, interesting, you know, you can actually feel your neurosis or your irritation with someone else. Do not have to do anything with it, especially blame yourself and especially blame them or blame your situation or blame, 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 blame. You don't have to do anything with it. You can just see that it's raw. It's just raw. It's tender and, and it's, Sometimes things are very prickly, and I would say do nothing with them. It's so easy to find blame. It's so easy just to, and you notice if there's some uh, 15 or 20 things sticking in your heart, if you blame, three or four of them drop out, and then it's not quite so bad. And we just kind of, well, if they hadn't done that, if they hadn't shown me, if I hadn't, you know, if you hadn't spilled that sake all over the floor, <laughs> and my addiction to sake wouldn't have risen, and now I've got to, I have sake. Actually, I have an addiction, but I haven't had any sake in in weeks, <laughs> many, many years. Yes, sir. The relief without blaming. The understanding of relief is what tends to get turned on its head. Rather than there being some kind of relief, the relief you get is realizing that what's looking for the relief does not exist, and so therefore you get that the 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 relief or no relief may come or may go. It doesn't make any difference. So someone who has realized, and you've heard me say this, other people say this in different ways, that if you're realized, you're not too concerned with how you feel. Happiness, sadness, all, as it says in the sadhana of Mahamudra, all thoughts vanish into emptiness like the imprint of a bird in the sky. Happiness, sadness, all, they just, things come, we will see, they feel good, they feel bad, they feel neutral, dissolve. And what remains is just this bare attention, just this perception, just body, just uh, the, just the emotions clashing around, just just uh, receiving the uh, seeing through the sense fields, uh, objects, apparent objects coming in the sense fields, and then, and then the naming of that, which is the fourth skanda. And then the fifth one is all of the sense fields and all their objects all rattling around all the time. Sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, all looking for a self and finding one. That's not true, not a true self. A question from Gilkado up in Minnesota. Yes. She asks, does the raw heart or bodhicitta feel like grief? It can, yeah, you could possibly use that. It can feel like grief, it can feel like uh, um, remorse, it can feel, it feel like, uh, uh, how does the, how does the, uh, the, 
uh, how does the, the verse go that we say? We don't say it formally here. We'll, we will eventually. We haven't yet. Where you're, you're receiving vows, you, um, you, all all my acts from beginning of time, passion, aggression, ignorance, I fully avow. I can't remember how that goes. But you're actually, it's not you're not, not so much like you're apologizing for it. You're just saying. I'm aware of this. I'm aware I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. And from beginning of time, I've probably made a mess of things all over the place. And it's not so much of like being ashamed, although some cultures might go that direction. Japanese culture might do that a little bit. But it's more like just being being aware that that your your understanding or your, your self-centeredness was so askew that you actually believe there was somebody that needed to be promoted or needed to be pr- protected and you probably hurt some people. You might have hurt yourself. De- definitely hurt others. My my experience of being very young, as I've shared with you before, was I was a thief. Looking back on that, it's just painful. But but at the time, looking at it, I think, well, who I was, where I was, what I was working with, and my causes and conditions around me. Not to blame anything, but causes and conditions. That I, you know, it was a. I don't know if you call it choiceless, but. Uh, I was just in a corral with a lot of ponies, you know, with no no idea who I was or what was going on. I just knew that I was uh, very afraid. So feeling very happy to stumble into this the Buddha's Dhamma and meet a, a true teacher. What is a true teacher? <clears throat> Someone who understands what it means to teach. Keep going. I can't talk unless you ask me. How do how how can we know if we've met a true teacher? I don't know. How did you know what you, you met? It's just choiceless. Did you have doubts? Yes, but not enough doubt. I knew I, in my situation, I felt like I was, uh, I had to find some way to work with this. And anywhere I looked was not good because the areas I went, I, I could see that the areas that I looked in other than the Dharma were full of confusion, self-centeredness, presumptuousness, and belief in this and disbelief in that. And it was just... Uh, Difficult, so I just uh, kept looking. You'll know, Robert. What does it mean to teach? Pardon me? What does it mean to teach? Uh, meet people where they're at and don't meddle with them. So meet someone where they're at. If, you, if, you're, if you're not meeting them where they're, where they're at, then you will have presumptions about what they need or don't need based on your projection. If you meet someone where they're at, you're helpless, as they probably are especially if they think they're somebody and they're trying to get ahead and they're working with their suffering. Usually what you end up doing is listening to them a lot, encouraging them to train their mind. That's what I do. Yes, sir. Mutual helplessness to help others. One realizes it and the other is ignoring it. So there's an imbalance there. It's called samsara. It's called suffering, the wheel of birth and death. The teaching person realizes it and the person who is there as a student is confused about it. As Dogen says, us sentient beings are confused about awakening, and uh, those who are awakened are clear about confusion. That's why I keep saying, and the teachings say, look at the confusion. It's your Dharma gate. This is what comes up, the ugliest thing that comes up tomorrow uh, afternoon at four that's in your life. It's a Dharma gate. That, you know, something you don't like, something that comes up in your mind. As you go on the path, it gets more and more refined. Those Dharma gates get so they're they're very slight, and they're just they have a little little edge on them, and they and they move this way, move that way, and they it looks like everything is pretty clear, but there's this one area that's still um, um, causing suffering or discontent, and and the ego mind wants to fix that, shut it down, cover it up, have ice cream, 
you know, do something to move that or get rid of that. And I'm, I'm not against having ice cream or to, or to have, having a good time. I'm just saying take advantage of those situations when they come up in your mind. One more. I find when something negative comes up, I want to treat it as a dharma gate. I find myself wanting to put a lot of focus on it. Can that be passion, trying to pull that in? Well, it could be, but if you do it enough, repeatedly, um, together with the uh, sitting practice of meditation, just sitting, and you're doing it in your uh, post-meditation or in your life or on the cushion or wherever, then you'll, you'll eventually see. So you'll see some of that. You Just that you ask the question, you already know that that's the case. Am I correct? Yeah. So um, you already see that some of that's happening. Do nothing with it. Don't don't apply pressure. Don't don't uh, invent uh, upaya or skillful means. Skillful means comes out of wisdom. It isn't something that we kind of have a workshop in the back room and we come up with some skillful means about a particular approach. This doesn't mean that that some highly skillful way of working with a situation that's very uh, has a lot of even strategy and it won't just show up or appear. Uh, if it does, if it just arises spontaneously, that seems to be how it works. Just like this building arose spontaneously. I sat right there in a chair 12 years ago, listening to a talk by someone who was talking about, what were they talking about, S-training? I don't know what it was. This was someone's living room. I thought it was the work. Huh? I thought it was Byron Katie's. Might have been the work, yeah. Well, there's, there's, the person who owned the building has been involved in all kinds of things. I've known him since he was a, since he was a microscope. I'd also like to remind everybody about the All Day. This is Saturday, August 25th. Join us if you can. And we do have donation boxes in the hallway. They're still there, still receiving your contributions. Also, PayPal, online, checks in the mail. 33 Anderson Court, Battle Creek, Michigan, 49017. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we in every single